Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is the first episode in a series of three with our friends at Rotogeek. And joining me for all three episodes, I'm delighted to introduce David Payne, who's the Chief Product Officer. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, Simon. Good, thanks. And thanks for having me. No, welcome. Looking forward to this mini series that we're recording with you. We're going to kind of cover all things WFM and we're going to kick off today's session talking around automating employee scheduling. But before we get into the detail and kind of share our thoughts and and feelings on that, just give us a bit of background first on yourself. What have you done in your career? How did you get to Road to Geek and what do you do in Road to Geek? Yeah, sure. So, well, I've been at Road to Geek about five years now. Um, as you say, kind of running the product side, so planning our, our roadmap and how we're going to evolve our product for our customers' needs um, now, but joined to build the customer success function when Road to Geek was first starting to become a kind of, I guess, enterprise-facing company and starting to starting to build business cases for and onboard and help the change management for, for, for larger sort of high street retail kind of enterprises trying to use our software. And we'll get into why that's needed and everything in a minute. Um, but before that, uh, I guess I'd never been in tech or in you know, SaaS or startups or anything like that before. Uh, I started as a McKinsey consultant uh, and then spent uh, a few years in the city as a sort of stock market analyst of, of various kinds, but always focused on the retail sector. So I guess what, what sort of drew me across into the world of tech and to Road to Geek specifically was, was tools um, that can help retailers and make them more efficient. And for those that maybe aren't familiar with Road to Geek, do you want to give us a quick kind of company biog as well in terms of how it was formed and the kind of stuff that you do there yes yeah absolutely it's a well it's a cloud-based scheduling solution uh so uh, i guess we we mostly face retail now but actually the origins of the company um a few years before i joined it um our founder chris mcculloch was a an a and e doctor who was trying to improve scheduling in the nhs um and in the process of building that uh, i guess found that he'd built a tool that uh, was useful to lots and lots of uh, organizations that have shift workers uh, and uh, and are leaking efficiency through uh, through shift scheduling and so yes for the last few years road to geek has been uh, facing mostly into the retail industry although we do still we do still uh, face health and 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 any business that sort of has some of the same sorts of challenges with the way they try and put their people in the right place at the right time but yeah cloud-based uh, solution including auto scheduling which i guess is going to be quite a lot of what we talk about um, in this series, um, but actually, I guess functionally, we cover everything to do with um, that uh, shift worker management. So, mobile app for requesting leave and uh, payroll integration, so people get paid correctly at the end of the period, and reporting and all those sorts of things. Um, so, so Road to Geek kind of covers. Yes, I guess our, our real focus and specialty is in um, optimized, automated scheduling, data-driven scheduling, um, but that's supported by a, a mobile and cloud platform that, that covers all of the sort of workforce management requirements uh, every time i see chris your founder i always kind of pose the question did you work more hours when you're an a doctor or <laughs> do you work more hours since you've been there uh, starting and driving a tech company forward and um yeah i, th- I think maybe it's the, <laughs> yeah. la- the latter but uh, no sure it, it is. In- interesting interesting backstory and chris has been on an earlier podcast in our wfm series if anybody wants to check out that track but yeah let's dive into the detail then david so we're going to talk about retail specifically, I think, because that's you know where my heart is and clearly where a lot of your time has been spent. And this debate around automating employee scheduling. So been, if I cast my mind back 20 years when I worked at Focus DIY, who sadly aren't longer around, we implemented um, automated scheduling. And probably forever since, there's been this view that you should be able to 
put a load of data in a solution, people data, sales data, till data, whatever it might be, press a button and hey, presto, you get this answer, which is 100% correct. You put it on a wall, nobody changes anything, everybody goes and works it, and then you do all the stuff through time and attendance to Sounds validate. so easy, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> there, there's, the, there's the golden bullet, I'll have yeah. 10. It's never, in my mind, transpired that way. So when you, we talk about should retailers be automating employee scheduling, what does that mean in your mind, especially that automating piece? Is it fully automated? Is there still manager input? Where where does it go in your mind in the kind of road to geek journey? Yeah, I think, uh, yes, I mean, I think that is right. And maybe we should sort of answer, we should answer why should they be automating employee scheduling? But let's also talk about why why not? How do I, you know, are there some businesses for whom it's not appropriate? And, and maybe we should also, before we get too deep into it, pin down that distinction we're making, I suppose. And I was trying to set up a bit in terms of the functional coverage of the RotoGeek tool. You know, automated scheduling, I guess we're referring primarily to, you know, I'm about to make a new week's rotor. I've got sort of, you know, an empty week in the future. Uh, I've got data about it potentially. And I want to just build the build the rotor, but then there's all the all the other interactions and maintenance of a rotor that go around that. Like as you say, th- things change, um, the team changes, people swap. Your view of the demand of the store might change between now and then. So I guess um, I guess focusing particularly on the automating bit because I think some of the benefits of sort of going sort of mobile and digital are uh, lower hanging fruit and more obvious, and I think more sort of no regrets for most companies. Um, but automating, yeah, I agree, is sort of is sort of tricky. The I guess the obvious benefit to it is it's an opportunity to be more efficient uh, we'll dig into this a bit more i think later on but you know when we always attempt to quantify obviously kind of what the benefit is of a particular business moving to a solution like ours and we look in the first place at what current rotors are doing um in terms of you know we, we take examples of rotors that real managers are making week in week out for their stores um and we look at that against um actual or a good model of demand i.e would your ideal kind of staffing levels be 15 minutes by 15 minutes doing what task potentially um you know assuming you've got a good model of what what ideal looks like um how far off are these human rotors and they can be quite far off um you know we we sort of routinely see sort of 30 or 40 percent of kind of the hours in the wrong places in those rotors and i guess that manifests in uh, not the stores not having enough uh, enough people at those peak times or on peak tasks at peak times um, and people twiddling thumbs at quieter times uh, and only so many of the tasks in the store can be moved around to kind of to to be done when the people are in you know there's an awful lot of uh, customer reactive demand where you really need the, the the staff to be in when when they're needed when the customers are walking into the store and needing service and assistance and restocking and tills and everything else um, so that's where you sort of see the problem. And yes, these, the opportunity is to uh, eliminate some of that human inefficiency, M- making a rotor, doing the sort of jigsaw of fitting together shifts through the week for all of your different team members, doing what they're good at and making that kind of, uh, as you build that jigsaw, making that sort of shape fit to when you need the most people is quite hard and humans are just not very good at it. It's something that, you know, I think we found and, and, and the world is finding that, you know, this is a sort of, this is exactly the sort of the problem that computers are really good at. Uh, so why not harness that? Um, so that's the sort of the obvious opportunity. It's an opportunity to be more efficient, reduce that leakage and ultimately see, you know, be able to have more staff in your store serving customers when you have the most tasks to do and the most customers in the store and, you know, pay for that by not having so many people twiddling thumbs uh, at quieter times. And I guess the why not, you know, as a retailer, can I tell if maybe this is not the right step for me, I'm not ready for this or uh, it won't be worth as much to me as the next guy. 
um, we sort of think the shape of your demand, I guess, if you have quite volatile demand through the day, i.e. quiet times are quite different from busy times. And if you have quite a flexible team, i.e. there's quite a lot of ways you could build that rotor rather than lots and lots of kind of contracted, committed shifts that are, that are fixed from week to week and never going to change. If I have that kind of behavior in my stores then and, and and the limiting factor to how efficient i can be is how good my individual managers are at kind of doing the timetable uh, then probably there's a big opportunity but if i have fixed patterns that i for whatever reason contractually through unions or whatever I'm not going to easily be able to change then obviously my upside is more limited and if i have very flat or i control my demand so i guess we often talk you know one of the things one of the reasons our tool is good for retail is because you know customers walk into stores and they come when they want to and they come in whatever numbers they come in um if i'm doing something like you know there are shift workers on you know manufacturing lines as well but that's not the same kind of thing from a demand perspective you don't have to try and match your staff to some external demand requirement you you get the work done when you have the people in so again sort of there's not say sort of better shift scheduling is not useful at all kind of in a factory on a fa- or on a manufacturing line but uh, the, the upside from efficiency won't be as great in those kinds of places as it is you know in a typical store environment so yeah so the, the jigsaw is more complex isn't it in retail or there's more Pieces, so it's a thousand-piece jigsaw rather than a four-piece jigsaw. Yeah, if that makes exactly. Sense. And yeah, having run retail stores myself, I I kind of knew that Tuesdays, Saturdays, Sundays would be uh, my busiest. Tuesdays was uh, OAP days, a ten percent discount. Saturday, Sundays, clearly more people off work doing DIY, therefore coming into the shop to buy. Other other than that, I probably would have had a a view of the rest of the week in terms of priority order data when it's produced whether that be till data footfall data a mixture of two in that pattern but clearly down to a much more granular level so 15 minutes half an hour hourly to be able to plan against more accurate data must be an immediate step forward for lots of retailers well, yes, we think, I guess there's sort of two things maybe in, in what you said. And I think, yes, you, you're right. One of them is just the extra granularity. And, you know, we definitely see that. And we, to some extent, kind of quantified, you know, if you don't change anything else, but you're now able to start your shifts on something other than the on the round hour, um, or you have some view of demand, which is down to that um, granularity to, to inform it, then, yeah, there's, there's a few percentage points of efficiency just in that. But there's also this idea that, you know, that sort of that weekly model, that weekly pattern that you're referring to, like the template, both of demand, i.e. knowing you know what kinds of demographics you're going to have, what sorts of levels of busyness at what time-ish of day um, you're, you are busy on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, um, uh, is, is really useful. But um, each Monday is going to be a little bit more different than that because, you know, uh, of course, day of the week is a, a, one of the most important factors in, in the shape of the day in terms of trading. But, you know, a given Monday is going to be a certain distance from Christmas, a certain distance from payday, um, you know, a certain uh, likely seasonal kind of weather environment and all these sorts of things. So every, every Monday is different and that weekly pattern isn't going to be perfect. Um, and similarly with your staff shifts, you know, you may, th- if you've got a very static team and nobody ever joins, nobody ever leaves and you can tell people when to take their holiday, uh, then I guess you can just make that rotor once for the week and sort of cookie cutter it onto every week of the year. But of course, nobody's nobody's team is like that. Um, you have, co- you know, have constant churn, I guess, of, of, of team, people joining, people leaving, uh, unplanned absence, planned absence that's different from week to week, preferences that people have that you may or may not uh, be able to honor, but you'd, it'd be nice to be able to, uh, and that sort of thing. So the, the team changes all the time, the demand changes all the time, and the weekly template, we sort of think, of course, there's a reason people do it. It's a, it's a reasonable proxy, um, but there definitely is a few percentage points of efficiency to be gained by going to the next level. 
And I, I like the the other thing that maybe people might not be aware of. When you solutionize scheduling, it gives you a framework, so it gives you a standard way of doing it. And you you wouldn't believe the amount of times we still see across all types of industries, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint documents, Word documents pinned to the wall. Uh, it'll look like pretty with all pictures on in one store. It'll just be black and white in another. In another store, it'll have marker pen all over it. So mm-hmm. for me, there's there's a big step change. Forget the kind of data at this point and how you create the schedule, but just having everything in one place with some central visibility, some standard practices and routines and ways of doing things, sometimes that gets forgotten because we kind of focus on this so how you're producing the plan what's the detail but this having having this framework to work in for me again is it a seismic step forward yeah and i think we i guess we sort of we said we were going to talk a bit about why why retailers you know why you know some people are moving towards scheduling automation we're sort of making the case for why it's good um there definitely is also a trend of people starting to do it and i think one of the things worth pointing out in terms of why it, why it's happening now is that those kinds of um, some available technologies now are enabling that. So I guess what you're referring to there, I guess, is yes, the sort of the um, on-demand access to the latest version of the schedule, not having version control issues, I guess, around that. You know, if you've got a template that you're going to pin up or a version of the rotor that you're going to, you know, stick up on paper in the staff room, but uh, but it's going to be quite hard for people to keep up to date with each week being different from the last or last minute changes or anything like that. So the fact that there is now the infrastructure for people to have mobile apps including mobile apps for work in their pocket for pretty much every store team member and we can use cloud and we can use mobile to keep people up to date with the latest versions of these things really easily and lots of other things too we can you know involve them in lots of self-service and transparent transactions um, swapping their shifts and all that kind of stuff but just the fact that you don't have a version control problem now i think massively enables this so obviously there are some enablers in the technology that company like companies like ours are building in the data science, so the ability to do better optimized rotors than maybe some of the kind of past iterations of this um, in other eras of technology. Um, but but then that is definitely, and that's the automated scheduling component, but that's massively enabled by feeling confident that as you make all these minute changes and people's rotors are going to be slightly different from one week to the next, that isn't onerous for them to kind of keep up with and still turn up for work on time because of those sorts of other features. One of the things you mentioned there, which is interesting, is this whole data science piece. So is it fair to say that kind of retailers are starting to move towards this more automated world because we now rely and trust data a lot more and and there's much more data available? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think kind of trying to unpick all the different uh, elements here. Um, the, I mean, certainly, you know, we find that uh, the, the technology of sort of uh, genetic algorithms and uh, different alternatives, even open source alternatives, uh, so that, you know, we're specialists, specialists in scheduling, but we're not, you know, we're not necessarily wanting to be deep specialists in every aspect of that value chain from kind of raw forecasting and optimization through to how you think about that in terms of shifts and shift patterns. Um, but, you know, there's much, there's much more of a value chain, I guess, around these kind of components now. Uh, you know, it's a much more mature, I guess, economy of AI and algorithms that, that companies like ours can kind of, uh, obviously, there's 
a lot of proprietary things in what we do in our algorithms, but it's a, there's much more of an ecosystem around this now. So that has made it made it easier to provide the solutions. And I think you're right, there's more trust um, from companies who are using that kind of big data in more settings, you know, maybe around their POS and e-com, uh, certainly around supply chain. I guess that's one of the other big big trends around here. I wonder if one of the one of the reasons we're seeing more people getting more excited about digital and automated scheduling now is it's a kind of next up problem after an awful lot of technology has been deployed in sort of inventory and supply chain and in e-commerce and warehousing. Um, and now this this kind of um, knowing what your employees are really kind of doing hour by hour and being able to, uh, you know, model scenarios and plan that better uh, is is, some, is something that, that companies are sort of getting around to now. Uh, and it's definitely enabled by the, the way that technology has grown up to support it. Clearly, we've had COVID around. It's been a, a tricky 18 months for every individual let alone every company that exists pretty much across the world it it looks like it's one of those things that we're learning to live with it's it's here to stay so how automation and those that are kind of moving to this more automated approach what things do you think that will give them what foundations will that lay to help them cope with some of the things that living with um, a virus brings so you know examples being higher absenteeism um, more frequent spells of days off, un- unpredictable demand in some cases based on local lockdowns and things. Yes. No, I mean, I, th- I think that is right. And I think obviously in some ways the, that sort of um, discontinuity, is a, it can be a challenge for some of the data-driven things that we want to do as well, as in, you know, if a store has been closed for a long time or the, you know, the pattern of trade around it has dramatically changed because people's commutes are now different or shopping habits are now different, all these sorts of things. That obviously is a sort of headwind for that whole forecasting process, having more consistent historic data to work from enables us to extrapolate patterns better. Um, but obviously, it's, it's even more of a challenge for those kind of fixed cookie cutters that people were used to using before. So lots and lots of companies, kind of all they had was that local knowledge and instinct of the manager who's run the store for, for five years and you know the rotor patterns that they've always used that have always worked. And of course, now those don't work at all. And you've sort of got to reinvent. Um, and using some technology to kind of to, to fast track that and power it, I think is a is a really sensible thing for companies to be looking at. And certainly, we find with our kind of forecasting process, um, it doesn't need the most important part of the process to, is to look at that kind of intraday trading pattern. So, you know, like, like you said, kind of like when in the day do you get busy doing what exactly on on the typical Monday? Um, and you've got seasonality and other features to lay on top of that. But the you know the, the sort of the shape of a Monday is a, is a really key one. And and you know, our kind of forecasting engine doesn't need very much recent history to start doing quite a good job of forecasting that. Um, and again, it's the kind of job that computers and algorithms are really good at and, and humans take a little bit, you know, it's a bit trickier. Um, so that's a real opportunity just just from that sort of that, that break or that discontinuity in when, you know, stores opening hours, stores patterns of trade, stores absolute level of busyness um, to be able to sort of you've got to reinvent that you've got to remodel it and to do it with a technology kind of tailwind rather than have to do it all on you know see if managers have spotted the trends uh, and have adapted to them yet is is definitely is definitely powerful i guess lots of uh, lots of things have changed through covid i mean i you know 
in terms of the not just the customer profile, you know, who's walking in and when, um, but lots of things inside the store, um, you know, the new roles that have been needed to help to help manage that uh, flows around a store and uh, and and with sort of lockdowns and having to close and reopen and that kind of thing, the the additional communication you have to do, the additional things you have to do to retain skills in your team and uh, and train them and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and these these are all things that can they're all they're all ch- they're all changes in in what you need from your staffing model, and I guess that's uh, tools like ours can really help with that. But I, I guess this is sort of something that you guys at Rethink are, are looking at a lot as well. Yeah, we're we're seeing lots of change within how people are recruiting again. So again, people back to thinking about that full time part time mix, and then what's the minimum contract hours I have for somebody? What's the the maximum potentially? How do I flex people up and down so if we've got people who are having to self-isolate is it better to have a bigger pool of heads to to pull from or or not or does that just mean that there's potentially more people that might be self-isolating so it's a real conundrum still I think for retailers but again has really pushed them and we've talked about it in a couple of points in this conversation in that whole digital aspect so have they got apps that can communicate to the colleagues shift swap uh, shift bid all those kind of generic features that exist are they in place and do they work because i think one of the the biggest challenges really at the start of the pandemic regardless of solution was lots of big organizations really struggled to communicate directly with de- deskless workers so people that didn't have a pc or a, a company right. phone they they just couldn't get in touch with them other than you know old-fashioned mail or yeah. poten- potentially had an email so i think that was foundational stuff and now again yeah we're, we're back to looking at you know where time spent how time spent and um, back to some of that demand stuff so what additional cleaning's gone in and how long does it stay for how long does it cost but it's all work and all should form part of the scheduling process Totally. And I think it's probably worth facing into the fact that I guess lots of what's happened with COVID sort of continues to happen. And, you know, some of these permanent permanent changes probably we're going to live with now um, have just, you know, quite apart from the specifics of how they change life inside the store, they're just putting more pressure on the store, right? So the, you know, there is just, just it's accelerated the shift to online. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's encouraged people to want to spend less time in stores where they might be exposed to other people um, and just generally has taken volume out of most stores. Uh, so that's obviously increased the pressure on on lots of companies who operate them. And and it seems quite right that quite apart from sort of wanting to do the best that they can for the new normal, they, it, they have to look for efficiencies uh, to be able to sort of keep keep running those stores profitably at all. Yeah, yeah, it's not sustainable to keep layering cost in clearly they're all on the different challenges and we digress slightly with brexit with um taxes with importing goods from abroad so there's there's a whole bunch of different economic pressures that are coming down and clearly one of the big ones that you can control is how much you spend on salary and that that comes with choices around service and standards and quality in store but nevertheless everyone's looking in that field again in terms of where are my opportunities to either increase time with customers, therefore sales, or reduce the the non-value add and the idle time? So we'll pause there, David. I think that's a good a good place to end episode one. Sounds We're going to come back in episode two and get into more of the detail around the benefits of the automation piece, what things we're seeing that drive, and I suppose answer the the question of can you ever fully automate so can we get to that point of 
pressing the button, computer spits out an answer and everybody works it. But we'll we'll hold that thought until episode two. So thanks for your time on episode one and we'll catch up soon. I'll see you then.